wonderful to be with you again this morning. As you're taking your seats, if you will, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark in chapter 10 this morning. Mark 10, and we're going to be in verses 17 through 22. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. I'm reading from the New King James Version this morning. Hear now the word of the living God. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we praise you this morning and we ask that you would teach us from your word. Teach us from this passage. Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit among us. Bless the preaching of your word that most of all we would see Jesus Christ. That we would see him before us this morning. That we would come to love him more. That we would see the, the great treasure that is offered in him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Not all that glitters is gold. Not all that glitters is gold. We're familiar with this saying because throughout human history, people have been obsessed with shiny metals. Americans sold everything they had to move out west and pursue it to secure a Maybe a great and lasting inheritance for their family. Colonists rode miles upstream to buy it from Native Americans. Just on our way here this morning, we saw a sign for the North Carolina Mountain Gold Festival. Gold's a very popular thing. Shiny things are popular. However, many people confuse the gold, the treasure that they're looking for, For something called fool's gold, pyrite, sort of a worthless rock, a fake, an imposter. They marveled over it until they found out what it really was. It looked beautiful as it shimmered in the sun until they found out it was absolutely worthless. In the same way, the world offers to us many counterfeits. But only Jesus offers us lasting treasure. Only He can offer us what we seek. 
I wonder this morning, though, is there fool's gold in your life? What looks so good to you that in order to have it, you would reject Christ's free offer of the gospel? Are you taken captive by the the sheen of sin or the false glimmer of possessions or the praise of worldly titles that you'd be willing to forsake eternal life with God? This is the danger that Jesus warns us of today in his conversation with the rich, young ruler. Of being guilty, of being taken captive or counting fool's gold more precious than the real thing. Of forsaking all the riches of the heavenly places in Christ because we believe we already have what we need. This is precisely the message of our text this morning. You must forsake the world and follow Jesus. Only He offers you eternal life. You must forsake the world and follow Jesus. Only He offers to you eternal life. We're going to see this in two simple points this morning. Two simple points from our text. Firstly, in verses 17 through 20, forsake the vain hopes of the world. Forsake the vain hopes of the world. And secondly, follow Jesus. He offers you what you seek. Follow Jesus. He offers you what you seek in verses 21 through 22. So our first point this morning is forsake the vain hopes of the world. Look with me at the beginning of our passage in verse 17, Mark writes for us, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him. Now if we look at the surrounding context of our passage, we find that Jesus is teaching publicly with his disciples. Multitudes of people are coming to hear him. His ministry is becoming very well known. The crowds are beginning to recognize him. And then after he had been teaching about the kingdom of heaven, this one man, as Mark says, comes running up to him. Now, who is this man? What do we know about this man who has run up to Jesus? Well, first, we know he's a real man. This is a historical account an event in the life and ministry of Jesus. It's not a parable this morning. The other gospel accounts of Luke and Matthew record it for us as well with more detail, and they describe this man who's run up to Jesus in this way. He is rich, he is young, and he's a ruler. That's where we get the title, Rich Young Ruler. In other words, him being rich, we might say that he's wanting for nothing. He seems to have all that he could ever need. He's young. He's most likely handsome. He's probably physically fit. And he's a ruler. He's a man of social standing. He's a respected person. A ruler, as Mark means it, is someone involved in some type of council or court situation. He presides over a group of people. 
actually very possible that this man who's come up to Jesus is a religious leader, a ruler over the synagogue, a ruler in the synagogue because of the nature of the question that he's about to ask Jesus. There's no reason to doubt that this man is a very religious man. I think we can observe this easily in the text because he knows Jesus is this great religious teacher. He's come up to Jesus as a great religious teacher. He calls him good teacher or good master, depending on the translation you're using this morning. But notice how earnest and excited he is to meet Jesus. He wants to be a follower of Jesus, right? He, he seems to want whatever Jesus is offering. Jesus didn't have to go out and seek him from among the crowds, but this man came up to him and tumbled down to his knees before Jesus as a sign of humility and his desire to learn. I think he's actually a very encouraging case because as the way he approaches Jesus seems he has good intent. Almost seems like a great case for evangelism. If they just came right up to us as this man does, wanting to hear what we have to say. So right at the start of our passage, it seems as if this rich young ruler has all things going for him, right? Everything is going good for him. Maybe some of us here today know someone like this. who Nothing really bad happens to them. Or, or maybe that's you this morning. Maybe it's not. Maybe it describes you, though. Everything is going for you. By all standards of the world, if this man was sitting beside you this morning, he would certainly be viewed as a good Man, he would be looked on by many as the shining light of the community. He always has his house in order. He gives to charity. His employees talk about how kind and generous he is. His children are never wanting for food or clothing. Certainly all those things are very good. But what we're going to see in this conversation of the rich young ruler with Jesus is this man's estimation of himself. The way that the world views this man is drastically different from the way Christ views this man. That all of these possessions and positions that he has are worthless because of that one thing that he lacks. As he kneels before Jesus, he has one simple question, and it's surely an important question, I think. It's a salvation question. It's a question that each of us would ask if we had a sit-down conversation with Jesus. If we were in his shoes, we'd probably ask this question too. As it says in our passage, he asks, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? We aren't really told the motivation of this man for coming and asking this question, but I think we could rightly assume that he's concerned with the concept of wealth, right? He's concerned with the concept of inheritance. He's concerned with his estate, his possession, all those 
things that he can gain from the sweat of his brow, from the money that he has in his pocket. After all, by his question, we know that he's a man who wants to add on to what he has already. The greatest inheritance. The crowning glory of eternal life. The last crown he's yet to discover how to buy. Are you beginning to recognize the, the problem with his question? The error in his question? The place in which his heart begins to lay bare before us this morning? His question is, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life, Jesus? What can I do to have this eternal life? This life that men from all over are abandoning their stations for. I want that thing. He's asking what he himself can do to acquire the greatest inheritance of eternal life. He thinks that he can earn it by his works. His hope for eternal life is in his own works. He just wants Jesus to tell him the secret. Look at how the, the Lord responds in verse 18. It says, So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. The point of Jesus' response isn't to have a gotcha moment with this man. It's also not Jesus saying that he himself, God manifest in the flesh, is not good. But his point is that this man's view of both God and man are radically deficient. The way that he views himself and views God is radically deficient. Ask yourself this question this morning too. Do I have a right view of myself before the Lord? Do I have a right view of myself before God? Do I recognize just how holy, how just, how righteous God is? And how much of a sinner that I am? To this young man, Jesus is just another good man who knows a little bit better how to get to heaven. As one commentator puts it, the rich young ruler came as one good man with hopes to discover from another good man what he can do to assure life eternal. I ask you this morning, is that who Jesus is to you? Is Jesus to you just another good man who can offer to you something? The problem is not just that the rich young ruler called Jesus good. It's not the problem. The problem is that he sees himself to be on the same level as Jesus. His view of Christ isn't high enough. He's not a redeemer to him, just a means to an end. It's evident this man sees himself to be the perfect candidate to heaven. For heaven. Why? Why? 
because of all the good that he himself has done and the ways in which he's been blessed by God. In other words, he's saying, why can't a good man enter into eternal life? Why can't a good man go to heaven? But he's made the mistake of so many so-called religious people in our day, hasn't he? He believes that all men are basically good. That if he can just be good enough, he'll make it into heaven. We already talked about this man possibly being a ruler in the synagogue. He's a very religious man. And now we're beginning to see how he's been influenced by the teaching of the Pharisees of his day. I don't think it would be off base to speculate that this man himself is a Pharisee. Now, it's a much more encouraging case than many of the other Pharisees who try to trip Jesus up, but this man has obviously been influenced by their teaching. Notice that Jesus says to him next in our passage, he says, you know the commandments. You know the commandments. Much like many of us this morning, the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler is no stranger to the law of the Lord. And as Jesus lists the commandments to him, he sort of checks them off like his grocery list. Jesus says, do not commit adultery. Check. Do not murder. Check. Do not steal. Check. Do not bear false witness. Check. Do not defraud. Check. Honor your father and mother. Check. Jesus, I I know all these. I learned them from a young age. I recite them every Sabbath day. What does this have to do with anything? Even responds to Jesus here in verse 20 saying, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Yes, I've done all that. Check it off. I can go in to heaven. This is where we really know this man is off base. You and I know what the Scriptures say. There's none who does good. No, not one. You're telling me, rich young ruler, that you went up to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you said to Him, I have kept all of your commandments? Instead of falling down before Him and saying, I am a man of unclean lips. This poor man doesn't know his own heart. He doesn't know himself. And he surely has no comprehension of the holiness of Almighty God. Oh, that we would know our hearts this morning, church. Similar to what this young man says is the Apostle Paul's statements in Romans chapter 7. You remember the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee, schooled from the youngest age. He was the best of the best of the Jews. He knew the commandments backwards and forwards. He even believed himself to be a champion of them as he persecuted Christians prior to his conversion. 
Until the Lord opened his eyes to the true parameters of the law, he believed himself to be righteous before God, that he could just check off the boxes. But when the law came, when his eyes were open to its fullness, its true parameters, he says, the law came alive and I died. The law came alive and I died. He recognized that there was absolutely no way he could have kept it perfectly. There was no way that he could have kept it perfectly. Remember Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. You know what he says. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you've even looked on a woman, you've already committed the sin in your heart. Do not murder, but I say to you, if you've hated your brother, you've already committed murder. We know this morning that we have sinned against God. None of us have done good. No, not one. We can't merit righteousness by the law. You see, the law is like a feather duster. It Stirs up the dust, right? It makes us to see our sin before us in the light. But that dust just settles right back down again to be stirred up again. The law is not a means whereby we eradicate our sin. We can't be good by works of the law before a holy God. But it shows us who we are. That we cry out to Him. That's what Jesus wants this rich young man to recognize that as he stands now, though a good man by all standards of the world, there's sin all over him. There's dust all over the surfaces of his house. He wants this man to recognize that his phony righteousness, all the giving to charity, his high position and his physical beauty avails nothing before a holy and righteous God who knows the thoughts and intentions of men. Our works cannot gain us acceptance before God. The only righteousness that we can plead before Him is that of Christ. If the rich young ruler's heart had been tender towards the Lord Jesus Christ, upon hearing the law, he would have fallen down Again, and confessed his sins before Christ, saying, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, save me. He would have recognized the most important thing he lacked, the inheritance which he could not buy with the money in his pocket. The offer which the world cannot make to you this morning. Redemption from sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. The only one who could take away this man's sin and ours this morning. The only one who can save us from the road to hell. The one who revives us from our dead works to serve the true and living God. But this man so infatuated with his own works and his inheritance, his eyes are blind to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The shimmer of the world is blocking his eyes from beholding the answer to his question. The wondrous Savior right before him. 
But I would ask you this morning, is that you? Do you believe yourself to be fair for heaven because of your good intentions? As one man said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. They cannot redeem you from your sins. Maybe you don't have a lot of money this morning. Maybe you're, you're not young. Maybe you're not a person of social standing. But nevertheless, this passage has a warning for all of us. Young, old, rich, or poor, I plead with you. Do not be swayed by the false offers and hopes of the world for eternal life. Forsake these vain hopes and come to Jesus. Many a good man has gone through this life going to church, dropping his tithe in the plate, being kind to all, and many will say beautiful things at his funeral while he stands before God hearing, depart from me. I never knew you. Please listen this morning. If your hope is anything, in anything but Jesus Christ, you have no hope. Come to Him. Come to Christ. Come to the One who's gentle and lowly, whose yoke is easy, and whose burden is light. Come to Him this morning and find rest for your weary soul. Come to Him. Forsake the counterfeits of the world. But I want you to see this morning that the text not only exposes for us false hopes, not only exposes the false hopes of the rich young ruler's heart, but it shows us the true hope. Following Jesus, who offers us eternal life. That's our second point this morning. Follow Jesus. He offers what you seek. Follow Jesus. He offers what you seek. We see this in verses 21 and 22. Friends, look at how much the Savior cares for this lost and confused man. Look at verse 21. It says, Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus, looking at this man, loved him. I want you to see the Savior, who the Savior is, that beckons you this morning. The one who seeks and saves the lost. If you come to Him and confess your sins, He will not despise you. He won't turn you away. As David reminds us in the Psalms, the Lord doesn't, doesn't desire sacrifice or burnt offering. But when you come to Christ for salvation or when you repent of your sins as a believer this morning, you aren't called to qualify your sins. You're not called to, to make excuse for your sins or to plead your own righteousness, but a broken and contrite heart. He will not despise. Christ will not turn you away this morning if you come to Him in faith and repentance. He will not break you. He will not quench you. But in this moment, He looks upon you with tender care. 
Come to him while he beckons. And we see God's love for sinners in this. He hasn't left us in the dark on the remedy for our sin, right? The way to eternal life is plain before us, plain before the rich young ruler. The message is in front of us all. Believe upon Christ and be saved. This is the message Jesus is about to share with this young man. He hasn't just identified or diagnosed the sin problem, but he's going to provide him with the true remedy, the true answer to his question, the true hope for eternal life. Jesus is going to show him the one thing that he lacks by answering how to gain eternal life. Jesus says, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. What Jesus is teaching us and the rich young ruler here is not that we have to live an ascetic lifestyle and give all that we have away. He's actually saying take away all of the human achievement out of it. Take away your money. You can't buy your way. It's really serving as an obstacle to you. The point is this. A rich man's riches cannot buy his way into heaven. Only Jesus can. That's the point. The answer is right in front of this man. It's Jesus. Jesus is the answer to his question. In other words, Jesus is telling us and him this morning that the only appropriate way to come to Jesus, our Redeemer, is knowing that we have nothing to give and everything to receive in Him. That's why Jesus in the last passage speaks of coming as a little child. Nothing to offer. Everything to receive in Christ. Yes, after we come to Jesus, He grows us in likeness to Himself and we begin to love and keep His commandments to grow in sanctification. But the way in which we know that we know that we know we have everlasting life is in Jesus Christ. He's the one who satisfied God's wrath by dying for us on the cross as our righteous substitute. What Jesus is calling this man and us to do is to submit our life to Jesus and recognize that there is no treasure, no hope, no happiness of this world that can compare to everlasting life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That taking up our cross and following Jesus Christ is worth leaving behind fishermen's nets. Riches, titles, and reputations because in Him we gain all the treasures in the heavenly places. If we're in Christ this morning, we're just strangers and pilgrims passing through a strange place on our way to the city whose builder and maker is God. 
Jesus says to us all, come, take up your cross and follow me. That's the answer to the question this morning. How do we gain eternal life? By following Christ. Follow Christ by forsaking the world and following Him. As as some have said before, Jesus is telling this man, no cross, no crown. No cross, no crown. That life in this world as a Christian is not easy. In fact, it's hard. The world hated Jesus and therefore it will hate us. If you desire to live a life pleasing to God, the world will persecute you. They'll do all kinds of evil against you. But there's nothing that can thwart the plan of Almighty God. If you're a Christian this morning, there's no greater inheritance than the one He's prepared for you in heaven. What's a little suffering? What's a little suffering to us for now in light of that which is to come? That's not the rich young ruler's response to this glorious message, is it? It's not the the reaction that we see in the rich young ruler. It's a grave example of unbelief. Look what Mark says for us in verse 22. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Some translations say that his face fell. He hung his head. It's evident in Mark's explanation that this man didn't get the answer that he wanted. It depressed him. He found the answer depressing. The real question of his heart was, how can I add eternal life to what I already have? Not just how can I, how can I have it? And in response, he turned and went away because he had such great possessions. There were things in this world which were so important to him that they meant more to him than life with Almighty God. We aren't told in the passages to come whether this man ever repented and came to faith in Christ, but no doubt he serves for us an example today. That even as the road to life and the road to death was set plain before him, he chose the things of this world, the pleasures of the here and now. Church, what is it that would hold you back from coming to Christ? What is it that would hold you back from coming to the Savior? What is it that's keeping you from following Jesus Christ? I don't know what sins that you struggle with this morning, what things of this world that you cling to the most, but I do know this. None of them can save you. None of them can save us. But Christ can. Come and lay your burdens at His feet. Cast off the things of this world and follow Him. Take up your cross this morning. 
Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not corrupt, thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Not all that glitters is gold. Don't be like the rich young ruler who came from afar to find treasure, but forsook it for fool's gold. But come to Jesus. He's the one who we're all here for this morning. Don't go away from this place sorrowful on the path to everlasting destruction. But come to Christ. The one who can satisfy your weary soul. For as Jesus says to those who follow Him, there is no one, there is no one who has left father or mother, house or brothers or mother or wife or children or lands for My sake in the Gospels who will not receive a hundred If you're in Christ, leave here with your head held high, looking to Him, follow Him. Look forward to that inheritance that awaits you, but to the one who's yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Hear this. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? Come to Jesus. Don't do as the rich young ruler, but come and follow the glorious Savior. For He alone offers you an eternal inheritance. The unfading crown of glory. Come to Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we are overwhelmed with the inheritance that You've given to us in Christ, that You've bestowed upon us all the riches of heaven in Jesus Christ. What a gift this is. Lord, help us to each come and buy living waters without money. Lord, this is not an inheritance that we've earned by the sweat of our brows or the money in our pocket, but it's one that's been secured through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that each of us would continue to follow Him or to come to Him, to take up our cross daily and to look to Him as our comfort and assurance of the things to come. We pray in Christ's name this morning. Amen.